Welcome to Short Talks, a podcast for graduate school applicants. There's a lot to think about when applying to PhD programs, but we'll try to keep this short. Okay, hi everyone, um, and welcome to the Project Short podcast. Um, this week we're going to be talking about um, lab tech and postback positions, and you know, hopefully this podcast is useful for people um, who may be interested in those positions or applying to them and applying to grad school um, and STEM-focused PhD programs. Um, I'm your host for this week, Sophia Holmquist. I'm a third-year uh, PhD student in clinical psychology and neuroscience at Temple University. And here I have my special guest, um, Tatum Burnett. She's entering her second year in her PhD program in ecology at UC Davis. Um, so thank you, Tatum, for joining us today. It's great to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Awesome. So, you know, we're just going to be um, asking and answering some questions today and giving, you know, both of our experiences um, because we both did have post-bac positions before applying to graduate school. Um, so the first question we had was basically just kind of what was your experience like um, in undergrad in general? And is it common in your field to do a post-bac position? Yeah, um, so my undergrad experience was that I volunteered in three different research labs working directly undergraduate students. Um, I didn't have a lot of exposure to master's students. Mostly they were PhD students. Um, and I would say it's probably just as common to go to grad school straight from undergrad as it is uh, to do a post-bac position. Um, but uh, usually people do the post-bac position if they don't feel like the undergrad experience that they had left them qualified enough to go straight into a graduate position. So because uh, I was interested in eventually getting a PhD, even though I had some research experience from undergrad, I decided to, uh, you know, do a, a post-bac position. And so I wouldn't say that it's necessarily the most common thing, but it is encouraged if you want it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think for different fields, it's kind of a different story, which does make it a little tough, um, especially for clinical psych. It's kind of its own little beast. Um, you know, in clinical psych, it's kind of common to have to do a post-bac position to be competitive um, for admission to a PhD program. So usually like the titles for this kind of position would be like a lab assistant, a research coordinator or a research associate? Are those kind of the same for your Tatum? Like, are those the same kind of titles for the positions? Yeah. For ecology, I think you mostly see research technician or um, lab manager or um, some sort of field uh, field tech. Mm, if okay, you're doing yeah. more field work. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, so I'd say in clinical psych, most people usually work for like at least two to three years um, full time to be competitive for a PhD program. There are some people that do apply um, right from um, undergrad straight in, but it is getting more and more rare every year and it is competitive, um, you know, and I think after undergrad, it gives you some time to really think about if you want to apply to a PhD program and make sure you're getting 
you know, a lot of experience under your belt um, to make sure you're competitive and all of that. Um, so I guess like, yeah, what was your position like Tatum? Like when you were in your position, what was that like? Like what was your day-to-day like for you? Uh, so I worked part-time, a part-time position at the Scripps Institution of Oceanography in San Diego. I would say that my day-to-day was perhaps a little bit unusual for a typical research technician job since I acquired it during the pandemic. So I wasn't in contact with a lot of people and operations were a little bit more shut down than normal. But my day-to-day was that um, I helped run an invasive muscle monitoring program for different local and state water agencies doing different microscopy and uh, PCR Uh, runs. I also helped grad students with their research, which included things like plankton toes, uh, molecular work, animal husbandry, etc. And I also acted as the lab's area safety coordinator, which meant that I was in charge of the waste flow of the lab and making sure that everyone was up to date on their trainings. Interesting. I just had a random follow-up question about that, actually. In your field, is that like a pretty typical um like is that a typical like day-to-day kind of for like a position in your field sort of or is there like some variability in that or I think it probably varies lab to lab I know that a lot of labs will have lab managers that are separate from lab technicians and so usually lab managers are the ones who are in charge of the area safety portion of the job um but I think that a lot of research technicians tend to be either helping out grad students or running a particular research project in the lab, usually maybe like a long-term project or something that the uh, the PI, which stands for principal investigator or um, in the lab, would run. And so I think I think it's pretty typical. Um, but it, it can vary. And it, once again, if you're in, you know, a field work position, then your your day-to-day is going to look entirely different. Right. <laughs> As whether you're marine yeah. or terrestrial, molecular right. or not. So. Right. So the field position, that would really be like out, like in the ocean or like something like that, right? Like in kind of out in a location, you go out every day or something like that? Yeah. Maybe you're running transects. Maybe you're banding birds. Maybe you're... Um, I don't know, counting feces or something. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, for mine, I worked, um, I worked full time, like around, you know, like a typical 40 hours a week. I worked at a hospital um, at the VA in San Diego doing research. And basically, I was my job title, I think technically was unofficially a research coordinator but interestingly enough at the VA I think they call it something else like the actual job description like the job title is like some other job title but I think I wrote down on my CV like research coordinator and I was just like whatever we're just gonna put research coordinator um and it basically involved like running for uh research studies and handling basically everything from recruitment like phone screening, scheduling, um, running all the study visits, which for me included like running the MRIs, doing the neuropsych testing with patients because I do research on dementia, um, managing all the undergrads in the lab, um, making sure, you know, they have tasks to do, kind of like acting as a mentor to them too. 
and then kind of on the side doing your own like independent projects so you know submitting posters to conferences contributing to manuscripts um so basically like overseeing the study from start to finish and handling you know the irb stuff um with the studies maybe assisting in like uh grant applications if like the pi wants you to, is open to you helping with something like that um and it could be like processing the data like for me i um got to learn a lot of like neuroimaging processing pipelines so it ended up being kind of learning some like basic coding in linux and kind of trying to um handle processing all the neuroimaging data that was coming um through the lab um do you feel like in your field going straight into a phd from undergrad is like is feasible and like possible like to get in or what's status with that yeah i, I know um definitely i have some some great people in my cohort who have gone straight into a phd and have found that feasible I personally do not feel like I would have been able to go straight into a PhD for my undergrad. Um, but that's just because I felt like right after undergrad, I started becoming interested in a different field, slightly different field. And so I wanted to gain more experience and strengthen my background in some particular techniques and things like that. Um, and so that helped me feel like then I was prepared for a PhD, but yeah, I know people who do it. It's just, it can be difficult because it's different than undergrad. You know, the expectations are different. The workload is different. The independence is different. And so while I think it's feasible, you know, you definitely have to be prepared for the differences between undergrad and, and a graduate study program. Yeah. What about, I, what about in your field? Yeah. I mean, I think in clinical psych, like I said, it's definitely, I have seen people get in right from, from undergrad, I will say that when I have seen that happen, it has in the past, in the like really recently, the past couple of years, it has been like extenuating circumstances, meaning like they were awarded an NSF GRFP, which for people that don't know what that is, that's like the National Science Foundation Graduate Research Fellowship Program, NSF GRFP. And that's a fellowship that you can apply for. Actually, when you're applying to grad school, you don't actually have to be a student at the time. Um, and it can give you three years of fellowship funding. Anyway, I'm sure Project Short will have maybe another thing on NSF GRFP. But anyway, people that I've seen get in, um, maybe were awarded those fellowships so that they were able to snag a slot um at a uh, clinical psych phd program because they were basically bringing with them three years of funding <laughs> um for fellowship with them um which you know it's hard to turn that away for yeah that's pretty time. awesome <laughs> yeah um so you know it's usually been in that sort of circumstance that i've seen people get in recently but um you know i, I had i do know a lot of professors now that they say that they won't even like look at an application if someone doesn't have at least a year or two of post-bac experience for clinical psych just because you know there's people applying with two three four five years of post-bac research experience um i mean i am kind of glad for it though because i feel like personally for me it gave me time to 
just figure out like did I want to stay in this realm of research like should I get another research job and pivot like it gave me a lot of time to think um and really like make sure this is what I wanted to do and like really develop my research interests to make sure like okay this is where I want to end up pivoting to and going because my research was very different in undergrad than it was in my post back. Um, it was a very different field. So I ended up sticking with what I did in my post back for grad school, but it took me a while to kind of think about that and make sure like, okay, this is like, this is where I want to end up going in the future. So kind of similar. Right, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like you know, I'm talking from the perspective of a PhD, but there's also masters. And that's Mm -hmm. a lot more common to go straight from undergrad into a a grad degree program. I I have, I know people who are going into a master's with much less research experience or no research experience. And, you know, master's degree is still a difficult and important accomplishment, but sometimes it can be more manageable than a PhD just based on the amount of time that you have to put into to that degree um but it allows for you to come in with a little bit less experience and I think professors are more understanding of that yeah I agree with that um a lot of you know I could definitely talk a whole other talk about like getting in like you know oh should you do a master's in clinical psych before applying to a PhD it's like a whole nother beast but I agree like that is definitely more um, you know, people are more able to get into a master's program right out of undergrad, like in clinical psych for sure, um, over a PhD. And a lot of people do that. They'll do like a master's um before applying to a PhD. But I mean, I have my own opinions on at least in clinical psych, if that um should be done. If your ultimate goal is a PhD, if your ultimate goal is not a PhD, then like obviously not. Um, but yeah, that is a good point that it's it's definitely PhDs are their own own beast of like um, the competitiveness and kind of refining the research interest more and making sure you're like really like nail like you know going in going in um, straight and arrow for what you want what you need in grad school. Um, I guess my follow question is just how you got your post back position like how you found out about it and like what other ways have you heard of other people getting these kind of positions in your field? I have such a lame answer to this. I actually found my post-bac position on indeed.com. Okay. Uh, but uh, I, it was also posted on UCSD's job board. So uh, I would recommend if you're looking for a post-bac position to look at some university job boards. Uh, also, you know, Twitter seems to be on its way out becoming an ex but that's been a really strong resource for especially the ecology and evolution community to post different tech job postings and um, also even grad student postings Um, so that's been a good resource I would say also uh, I think that now that Twitter's kind of going down there's other options, uh, other platforms are trying to vie for Twitter's spot, but I think that LinkedIn might be a shift that might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also many email listservs for different ecology or evolution job postings, and sometimes those job postings will include tech positions. Um, 
And I guess maybe if you have experience with a research lab or maybe you've taken a class with a professor that you liked, I'd recommend asking them if they're aware of any labs that might be hiring because the best way to find a job is through people that you know. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? How did you get yours? Yeah. Um, so I got mine in kind of a weird way. So um, I did apply through a few avenues for jobs when I was applying for jobs. So like I applied on the UCSD jobs, like, you know, website for sure um, for research jobs. I also applied, um, oh gosh, <laughs> I'm trying to remember what the website was called. Uh, no, it, I don't think it was Indeed. It might have been a different <laughs> one. Um, but we actually had something at UCSD for undergrads that was a really nice research. It was called the Real Portal. And it was this like undergrad research portal um, to be able to like volunteer in a research lab as an undergrad. That was the main purpose for it. and it was actually mostly for like undergrad student positions but but there was one post back position I saw on there that was part-time um and I just you know figured like okay I'll just apply for this because it seems interesting um and it was in neuropsychology which is my like specialty my subspecialty so I emailed them my CV and like a cover letter so what ended up happening was they actually forwarded me to a different professor. As it turned out, that lab ended up not being able to hire someone at the time because of like um, just like some funding issue. Um, so that professor, the next professor, ended up um, emailing me back. Like my CV got forwarded to this other professor. They ended up emailing me, interviewing me within like the week. Oops, that's my email. Um email um interviewing me you know within the week and then hiring me like the next week um I think I also just like if you want to chime in about this too I think I started applying in like April before my June graduation date um I think that's did you apply how far in advance did you apply for um positions so in the um I think I applied so I graduated in uh, after the spring of 2020, and I think I applied shortly thereafter within like June or July, but they were looking for someone to replace the person that uh, was the current lab tech pretty quickly. So mm. uh, so I, I pretty quickly after that got an interview and things like that. So yeah. I wouldn't say it was like a following a particular cycle as much as a need for the position. Yeah. That's like another thing I was going to say is, you know, typically, you know, these research coordinator or lab tech positions, perhaps there are people that are going on to graduate school. So usually these people are going to be right. <laughs> around July, August time, um, because that's when they're going to be leaving for grad school. And you're, you know, you're going to be a hypothetical person wanting to really replace these people. So that's usually, you know, a couple months before that or a month before that is a good time to look because they're going to just try to fill the position quickly. Um, I also like what you said about like how to find how you've heard others find positions through word of mouth, because I feel like that is such a like, I don't know, that's just such a good way to find a position like ideal scenario is you're an undergrad in the lab and they just hire you on after like you're an undergrad in the lab 
and then magically you know someone is going to grad school and they just like hire you um right yeah, that would be ideal <laughs> that's like ideal scenario but also it you know what could happen is like you know maybe the person in your lab isn't leaving but someone in like an adjacent lab is leaving or someone they you know your professor knows is leaving and we'll just kind of send you know the cv over to that professor and be like oh i know someone that could um replace so and so um and then they kind of get in that way basically so i think there's a lot of ways i have i also did email i don't know if you did this i also like cold emailed a couple professors that i was interested in working with and like i just emailed them with my cv and like a basically cover letter type email and i just said oh i'm interested in your research and i'm searching for postback positions and just was wondering if you know you're hiring um anyone as of now um, so uh, maybe that could be a way I'm not sure you know just kind of cold emailing someone you're you know interested in if there's nothing on their lab website that indicates you know that they have postbacks it's worth asking you know yeah no I, I was just about to say that the lab website is also a great resource and uh, I think that cold emailing is a great way to do it it's not something that I did but it's something that I definitely would have turned to had I not been fortunate to to land that job yeah no I I fully agree with that what do you think were you know kind of the pros and cons of doing your post back position in general um I really like I have said thought that the biggest benefit for me was getting more experience in research just being in a lab um, I wanted, I keep saying that I was switching fields a little bit. And so I wanted to get a little bit more comfortable with the language around that field. You know, I wanted to understand what different words meant and practice talking about the field. I felt like I gained proficiency in that. Um, I felt like I wasn't ready to go straight into another however many years of grad school. Um, so it was nice to have a little bit of a change of pace to try working during that time. I also got to see what master's students look like uh, for the first time and compare that to the PhD students in the lab and get that perspective on, hmm, you know, do I want to go to and get a master's degree or do I want to get a PhD and and seeing what the types of projects that the master's students were doing versus the PhD students and the types of jobs that they were landing out of those grad programs and not necessarily you know where but kind of what their job titles in you know what their job roles entailed was really something that I wouldn't have had uh, that perspective I wouldn't have had had I not been in a postback position. Um, yeah. So I think, yeah, that was really a, a big pro, especially for me, there was the the lab tech that I was replacing did, like you said, go to grad school. Um, and I just saw, so she was going to get her PhD and I just saw how competent she was and how different members of the lab were asking her questions and turning to her as a beacon of knowledge. And I really respected her and thought, you know, I'm really glad to be doing this because now I feel like I'm going to be more prepared going into my grad program. 
Mm. So overall, I, I really think that those were the big pros of the post-bac position. Yeah, I I agree with all that. I mean, I agree with the gaining experience and just like, you know, having a breather from school is nice. It's kind of nice to not have to study <laughs> all the yeah. time and kind of take um take a break and everything and really think about what you're doing. Um, I think the only mm-hmm. other additional pro I had was it was nice to like make money so that I could like try to save money for grad school as best I could um before starting. So it was kind of nice to not um you know have to go straight in and be like I don't have any savings like at, at all. So it was kind of right. nice to try to create some sort of safety net for myself um in those couple years. Um yeah. Yeah, no, that's super fair. I think that that was a huge pro for me too, I, that I didn't anticipate, you know, I, it's really expensive to move. And so when I moved into, you know, wherever I was, wherever, where I'm living for my grad degree, uh, it was definitely very expensive. Yeah. And so having that safety net helped a lot. Um, but I also think that that can be a con, you know, depending on where you're working and where you're able to live. So I was able to live from home and commute to my position because it was really, it would have been really expensive to live in La Jolla, which is where Scripps is located. And so being able to save that money, it was a pro, but if I was living in a different area and I didn't have the ability to live at home and commute, then I think they would have actually, you know, incurred more costs. So I think when you're thinking about getting a post-back position, think about, you know, livability in the city where you're applying. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. And what kind of salary they're gonna give you and weighing that if you know, if that's gonna be doable, hopefully. Um, for a right. I mean, I was part time. So it's, you know, I couldn't support myself. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, the only reason I could I was able to was like, because I was working full time and stuff like that. But yeah, working part time, there's no way I could have lived like by, on my own, you know, in um, Southern California for sure um, right. what about for cons what do you think the like cons of doing like a post-bac position are for you um, I think there's not as many cons unless you're on a particular timeline um, I know that you know when I think about when I'm going to finish my PhD, you know, it's likely that I'll maybe just barely finish under when I'm 30, which is maybe not a timeline that a lot of people can afford, especially if they're looking to have a family and thinking about family planning and things like that might get in the way of, of that or, you know, so I think con would be, you know, if you do go get a PhD after it's going to push your timeline further back. Um, also I think that, I don't know, what, what, what cons do you think? Yeah, I kind of think the same. So, you know, I think graduating later is, to me, it is kind of a con because it means 
that, you know, if I would have went straight in from undergrad, I would have been out. I've also, I'm also going to be out of my PhD around the time I'm 30. So I took three years off. So I started when I was, I guess, around like 24, 25, I guess. And now I'm 27 now in my third year, just starting my third year, I just turned 27. So, you know, I'll be done when I'm 30. If I would have went straight in from undergrad, I would have been done now, basically. Um, I like I would have been in my postdoc now already on my way. Um, and already right. like making more money. <laughs> I guess, right? Because then, you know, right, I'd have postdoc earlier, I'd be making whatever job I'm gonna have after sooner. So I'd be therefore making more money. I guess, um, if you think of it like that. Um, so I agree with like the, and I agree with the family planning too. It is definitely a little bit harder thinking about that. Um, being like, wow, I'm gonna still be in my postdoc at 31. And like, I will, you know, I want kids. So it's like, you know, it, it is a little hard to think about that. But I will say that, you know, I have someone in my lab who um, recently had a baby and we've had people, many people in like our program that have um, like had kids. So not that it's so easy, but it is like people's lives don't stop in grad school. That's a whole nother podcast. But you know, like people's lives don't just like end in grad school. It's like your life, your personal life doesn't just stop um you know but obviously you know taking into consideration having a family in grad school is a challenge in itself like gotta acknowledge that one um so yeah. I think that I also like thought kind of about the uh, the spin of like you know okay going straight in you might get a little burnt out from school but another way of thinking about it is like you're already kind of used to school so maybe it is, maybe to some people, it's kind of easier to just keep up the momentum of like, okay, we're going straight in. Um, Cause it is, I right. will say when I took the three year break, it was a little hard getting back into just studying and like studying for exams and stuff that I haven't, you know, when you're in your post back, you're usually writing, you're helping hopefully write papers and stuff. So that right. wasn't so foreign. But it was like, oh, now I have to study for this like stats exam. Like, what's what is this? <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah. So I don't know if you felt yeah. like that. I felt like it was a little slow for me to figure out just like the rhythm of studying and like homework again. No, that's such a good point. I, I mean, that's a really, really great con because, yeah, <laughs> like you said, you know, you're practicing these more like hard skills in the lab or in the field where you're not you know maybe you're doing bioinformatics or you're writing a paper or you're pipetting but you're not really and you know I think it's a good time to to read literature and get informed on things that you're interested in but yeah you're you're not typically studying for an exam and that's a completely different mindset and it definitely is you know you kind of have to splash water in your face <laughs> Uh, a little bit and wake up when you you have to sit down and and open the textbook again and really study for something in a different way and that can be difficult um so yeah I, I agree that that's a good con to to point out yeah I agree um next question that I was interested in asking was what 
further experience did you kind of gain from your position for grad school? Like, what do you think you really, you know, honed in on and gained from, from doing this experience? Uh, so I guess on top of what I've said already, I would say that I think the biggest thing was gaining more independence. In undergrad, I was really used to being told, you know, what to do in the lab um, and not really having to manage people or projects. And so having that post-bac position where I knew, you know, in the abstract what things needed to be done by a certain time and then having to figure out, okay, well, I have this amount of time and these things need to be done. How do I prioritize that? What time do I dedicate to those things? How can I delegate different tasks and how do I manage myself really was the biggest takeaway from that because those are skills that you can learn in a grad degree program and you will, and I certainly hope to improve about myself in a grad degree program, but having that independence is a really big difference from an undergrad research experience. So developing that skill at least a little bit before grad school was the biggest uh, thing that I gained from from the post back position yeah what about you I fully agree with that I think definitely the gaining independence piece because it is just like that in undergrad you know you're you're usually not entrusted to do everything but when you're like the full-time or part-time employee and they're paying you like yeah you need to ha have that independence of what you're doing so that definitely was you know, a new sphere, um, getting introduced to having all that responsibility, but that really is similar to the responsibility you have as a grad student. Like when you're in your PhD program, you really do have that kind of responsibility and more honestly on top of you. So I think just getting exposed to that was helpful. Also for me personally, it was like learning new methods. So I had never been exposed to neuroimaging before. Um, I started this position or biomarkers or any of these things. And this position really got me in that, like running the MRIs, you know, really getting trained on neuropsych testing, doing full neuropsych batteries with people and really like knowing the ins and outs of the study from like point A of phone screen a participant to actually like, testing the person all the way to writing up the paper on the results of the person and other people too I think yeah. being like a research study almost all the way through is like a very unique experience and like I think it does help in grad school when you're kind of designing your own studies and you're applying for maybe your own fellowships or grants and you're really like refining your research interests you now have this whole picture of like the study from almost start to finish potentially or you know a huge chunk of it if you're working there for like two or three years you're seeing a huge chunk uh, right. of that um study and also for me I don't know if it was the same for you but just like writing like mm -hmm. I you know an undergrad you know if you do like an honors thesis or something okay yeah you're writing you're writing papers fine but really knowing how to write like a publication from scratch like potentially a first author one or whatever like I mean that's really different <laughs> yeah and that's like re that's really hard experience to get in undergrad like some people might be able to get that kind of experience in undergrad but I think that's pretty rare to get that right. kind of 
like a first author paper in undergrad. So for me, it was like, wow, okay, now I'm really going to get exposed to writing this whole paper, responding to the reviewers, like doing all of this stuff um, independently so that, in, you know, by the time you're in grad school, it's not so overwhelming and new. It's like, okay, we've done this before um, and it's not as bad. Yeah. <laughs> um. So the next question I had for you was, yeah, what made you want to come back to school for a PhD instead of um, potentially doing a master's? I know you touched a little bit maybe on that before, but I don't know if there, you have anything else to add kind of um, to that. Right. So um, I would say that the reason, like, so I talked about how, you know, at first, maybe when I started my post back, I knew I was interested in grad school, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to do a master's or a PhD and then seeing where people went and what types of things they were working on helped me ultimately decide what was going to be what I wanted. Um, but I think the more important part is that, you know, the types of careers that I'm interested in require a PhD, the types of positions and what those job descriptions entail require a PhD like if you go and you look at different job ads and you say well I could I could be interested in doing this and thinking about you know okay well what's common across all of these is that you need a PhD and so if that's what I want to do then I need a PhD but um, also I felt like that um, you know at least in my field it sounds like maybe in your field that a master's is a stepping stone to a PhD and I wouldn't say that that's necessarily the case in my field. Um, normally, just different types of jobs require masters. Um, and there's lots of different types of master's programs. There might be master's science um, or master's of advanced studies or ones that are more policy oriented. And those just aim you towards different job positions. And so I think that, you know, while you can use a master's, if you're not quite sure and you, you know, you, you maybe you eventually choose to convert to a PhD or get a PhD later on, um, I felt like I was capable of going into a PhD just because I had, like I said, research experience in my undergrad, and then I had a post-bac position, and I was fortunate enough to have published a first authored paper, and so I felt like I had kind of made a pseudo masters for myself. I'd had that experience bringing a, a publication from conception to publication and had a lot of research experience. So I felt like I was ready and kind of had done sort of a master's. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what, you know, those are some of the things that led me in the direction of PhD. What about you? Yeah, so... Similarly to you, I also realized that I needed a PhD for the career I wanted. So for neuropsychology, um, I mean, the two options in that field is you either get a PhD and become a neuro, like a clinical psychologist specializing in neuropsychology, or you could potentially, um, even with a bachelor's or a master's, you could go for a master's and become a psychometrist, which is someone who administers the neuropsychological testing um tests um but to kind of do the synthesis diagnosis and like interpretation of the tests you need the phd um you actually can't really my understanding is you don't yeah can't really do that with just a master's so 
I wanted to do all of it, <laughs> like the <laughs> interpretation, the diagnosis, synthesizing all the information, um, you know, into a report. So I knew that um, I would end up like if I wanted to stay in this field that I was going to have to do a PhD. Um, so there wasn't really another option for neuropsychology anyway, for clinical psychology that's a whole nother talk about like masters versus um, like masters in social work versus a PsyD versus a PhD in clinical psych. And those are all clinical degrees, but I'll table that for another talk. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so similarly to you, it's kind of has to do with like what job you want, I think, after what you envision yourself doing, it seems like. Um, yeah. Think, yeah. Like I said, I, you know, I felt like I had that experience to kind of set me up for a PhD. And I know that you mentioned that you had had experience leading a project of your own. Uh, and so I was wondering how you, it might be good for people to hear how you initiated that project in your post-bac lab. Yeah. So, I mean, it kind of took me a while. Um, I was unsure while I was in my job, I was unsure if I wanted to continue in dementia research or if I wanted to return to the previous research that I was doing at my undergrad lab, which was very different. It was on like trauma and self-injury. When I started on my post-bac, I, at night, I actually was still doing some projects with my old lab when I was like off the clock, so to speak, um, because I was still kind of well, one, I was trying to like wrap up my honors thesis like results and see about submitting, you know, to a conference or something. Um, and I was kind of trying to still figure things out, like if what like what I was doing. Um, then like my second year of working in my post back, I started to just get more involved with projects and I was like other people's projects. And then I was curious about doing my own. Um, and I I honestly, it's hard to remember, but I think I basically did go to my professor and I was like, oh, I kind of want to do something for this conference. So, you know, people in my field, they usually submit for an international neuropsychological, international neuropsychological society conference. That's in February. Um, That's like, you know, the one that most people go to. And then for me personally, there's like an Alzheimer's disease conference that's specific, you know, to the realm of research we're in. Um, so what I did was, you know, I had submitted to INS that conference previously with my old research lab. So that it was kind of the next step to like, okay, this year I should do something for INS with my current lab. Um, I mean, and my PI was like supportive and was like, yeah, we should um, submit something. And then we did, and then that became my first author paper after I submitted that abstract to that conference. We basically, after the conference, just turned it into a paper. And then that kind of spawned other projects. So like once we did that, that kind of made it an easy stepping stone to do other, like another paper kind of stemming from the results of that one. Um, I definitely had a mentor um, that was you know, really supportive of me and wanted me to get the experience of doing my own projects in the lab and kind of showing me the way. Um, but I think you do kind of have to take some initiative. I think it is, in my opinion, I think it's rare for a PI to be like, 
kind of push you to do your own project. I think if you're not seeking that out, they're not really going to suggest it. Maybe they do. Like, but I feel like for a postback, they might not suggest for you to do it. Um, they're kind of waiting for you to be like, okay, like I want to submit my own thing. What do you think about that? I don't know. I, I that's how I kind of have. Yeah. So I didn't really do a lot of independent research in my lab just because, like I said, it was during the pandemic time. So right. you know, everything was a lot more shut down and it was, you know, what's prioritizing what needs to what's of immediate need um but uh yeah I think that definitely that if I had it would have been something that I would have done in my later years just because at that point I had demonstrated that I was capable of handling what was you know what the deliverables of the lab were what I was expected to produce as a lab tech um while also being able to juggle you know, a, an independent project. Cause I, I don't think that a PI would be, I think they'd actually be really happy that you're interested in the research and they want to, that you want to ask questions and try new things, but I don't think that they would, you know, some may suggest that you do it or, or and some may not. It's, it's, yeah, I definitely agree. Just depending on the PI, but um, I don't think they would be disappointed if you are able to already handle what you, you know, need to get done. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, I also will say the first year of my job, I was just like getting the job under my bill and like, okay, learning all of these new things, like doing all the neuropsych testing, um, doing, you know, learning how to run the MRIs by myself or pretty much, you know, autonomously, like do, you know, all the neuroimaging processing um you know all of these things and kind of making sure I can handle like the recruitment for all the studies and kind of just the rhythm of everything and I feel like it took me a solid year to just feel like fully comfortable and be like okay I can do I can do these things now um and so maybe it is kind of coincidental that that did like can coincide with me like initiating for my first project. Um, I mean, I will say at least my opinion on like postback positions, you know, first and foremost, like your job is to run the studies, um, at least in clinical psych land, like it is, you know, to right, run yeah. the studies and that's your priority. So like for me, any like papers that I was writing or like abstracts, I really tried to do that like outside of my hours or like after I had finished everything that I was responsible for because you know you really are getting paid to run the studies and do all of that so any of this extra stuff is kind of kind of supposed to be on your sort of on your own time I think um that's like your own almost like professional development sort of right um, yeah so I think that made sense a lot about what you said that like, yeah, you got to make sure you're doing the job first, which is very true to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you had anything else left to add um, for, you know, post-back positions or any like last minute advice for anyone listening. Uh, I don't have anything else that I can really think of. Um, I think that you know, I recommend post-back positions. I think it's a good chance to grow and make mistakes and read a lot 
and learn a lot. And so even though there, there can be cons, I think that ultimately I'm grateful that I did mine. And I would probably expect you to feel the same, Sophia. Yeah, um, I do. I I agree with the reading a lot, too. I feel like that's the time to, like, establish yourself with reading the literature and understanding what's going on in your field. And I feel like I had a lot to learn because I had not really done dementia research before. So this was like a completely new field to me that I really did not know much about. Obviously, I'm still learning so much, but, you know, it really allowed me to learn a lot more about that so I agree I I recommend it too because I think it's good for all the reasons we talked about today it's a good stepping stone I think um yeah I think that's all I have to add um so you know thank you to everyone who took the time to listen today and thanks to Tatum for answering all these questions and being such a wonderful guest on the podcast um and yeah hope to see you guys for the next podcast thank you thanks for listening to this episode of short talks if you'd like to learn more about applying to grad school you can find additional resources on the project short website hope to see you again shortly